Hey everybody, this is Mike Onzano and you're listening to the Swim Coach Mike Podcast. Today's episode is an interview that I actually did with Chris Ritter. He is the host of the Swim Coaches Base Podcast, a fantastic podcast, great resource for swim coaches. And uh, he talks to me about my origin stories, what I really think is important, mistakes I've made in the past, and just, just everything in the world of swimming. It was a great conversation to have and I hope you enjoy the listen. My passion is on making people better. Like, if you, were to, if you were to take away swim coaching from me, then I would find something to make people better. Like, that is, that is just what I believe in. And, you know, when I, look, when I looked around on the internet and my reading, and maybe I haven't done enough research, but a lot of people talk about sets and workouts and that sort of thing, which is great. And I think there needs to be more conversation just on, on the coaching side of it. At the end of the day, it's, it's not an easy gig. You know, in the past two years, I've gotten married and had a kid. And, you know, things get crazy because the coaching lifestyle isn't, isn't easy. So, so my goal through my podcast and my, my social media stuff is like, hey, I'm a coach and this is what I do. There's nothing special about me, you know. And you can, be, you can be a great coach also and you can be a great husband and you can be a great father and you can do all of the above. Welcome to the Swim Coaches Base Podcast. Get ready to build up your knowledge base from other swim coaches around the world. The SEB is the number one podcast for swim coaches, bringing you the best conversations with top coaches to help you become a better coach. The Swim Coaches Base Podcast is powered by Ritter Sports Performance. Check out more swim coach resources from Ritter at RitterSP.com. Now, here's your host. Chris Ritter. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Just want to give a quick disclaimer. This is one of the podcast episodes we had recorded before everything in the pandemic broke out and everything got canceled. So just a little bit of frame of reference for that, but it's still a great podcast. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. And remember, make sure you're joining us on our weekly dryland webinars. They're free. Just go to RitterSP.com slash dryland in home, dryland in home, all one word, and join the hundreds of other coaches that are getting together with us on a weekly basis where I'm talking all things dryland, taking questions questions, taking topic suggestions. So be sure to check it out there. Hope you guys enjoy this interview. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to have Mike Anzano on. And Mike is the assistant head coach for Calm Aquatics, City of Midland Aquatics. And it's really great conversation. I've been wanting to have uh, Mike on for a while. He's a great Instagram follow. And he even started up a, a fellow podcast as well for swim coaches. And I really love his approach about he got into the sport late. He just loves helping people get better. And he just wants other coaches to know, hey, I'm just a regular coach like you guys too. Nothing special here. And it's about helping the swimmers get better at the end of the day. And then you as yourself as a coach continuing to get better. So I really love uh, Mike's approach in this. So I was glad to have him on the podcast. It's a great conversation. Let's jump on in with him. And now a word from our friends at A3 Performance. When's the last time the men's brief or jammer was innovated? I mean, think about it. Briefs have been around 50 plus years and jammers for at least 20. When's the last time a swimmer brand has added value to men's swimwear? A3 Performance has done it again. For the first time ever, A3 Performance has innovated men's competitive swimwear. Introducing FitLock, the first ever swimsuit drawstring lock. Now guys can tighten their suit with one tug and prevent it from coming loose. 
Featured on the Vici A3's Elite Technical Racing Jammer, Nova, their newest racing jammer, and all-solid brief and jammer swimsuits. FitLock is a proprietary technology designed, developed, and offered exclusively by A3 Performance. FitLock is a small lock on the drawstring that holds it in place to secure fit. Before diving into the water, guys can lock their drawstring in place by simply pulling both drawstrings until desired tightness. When the race or training is over, pinch the sides of the FitLock, pull, and voila, the string is loosened. Seriously, this innovation is game-changing for guys. Visit a3performance.com slash Ritter dash fitlock fitlock is all one word for more information and get any fitlock suit both racing and training for 20 percent off you can also call a3 performance at 888-369-7946 to get 20 percent off your entire team just mentioned ritter sports performance and that you heard this on the podcast one more time the web address is a3 performance dot com slash Ritter R I T T E R dash F I T L O C K Ritter dash Fitlock and the phone number is eight 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 three six nine seven nine four six. Mike, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. How's it going, Chris? Good. I'm excited to chat with you. I've definitely been following you on on Instagram for a while, and uh, I can, I don't even remember how long it was ago I, I found you. And then I loved that you were putting out a podcast too. And I was like, great, <laughs> another swim coach here. This is this is fantastic. Who's putting out podcasts? But we'll get to all that later, Mike. We got to get our first question out of the gate here. I hope you know uh, what's it. coming. How would you talk to an eight year old about swimming faster? Yeah. So um, the Really what I would talk to them about is, is that racing is fun. So when you're racing, you're inherently going to go fast. And, uh, I think depending on what eight year old you talk to, some enjoy being competitive and some don't, but I think every kid is competitive. You just have to find the right motivator to get them in like that competitive mindset. And, uh, what better motivator than fun, right? So there's, there's tons of different things you could do. But at the end of the day, if every eight-year-old leaves our program knowing racing is fun, then they're all going to get faster. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, distinction you made about, you know, some may not really inherently enjoy the competition. How do you help those kind of maybe enjoy it a little bit more and see the fun in it? Yeah, so um, it's really like shooting in the dark because (laughs) something that works with, with one kid doesn't work with another. but. It could be, all right, we're going to do relays at practice. And I look at that one kid who's struggling to be competitive or doesn't really get into the racing stuff at practice. Do they enjoy relays? All right, we're going to do find your best friend on the team and we're going to do a 25 kick and you're going to race them. Or partner up with your best friend and you and your partner are going to share one kickboard mm-hmm. and race this other set of partners. You know what I mean? And each of those has a different element. It's like it involves their friends. It's fun. And I just kind of, I just see what clicks. Um, it's hard to logically reason with an eight-year-old, you know, with some older <laughs> kids that are, that are struggling with being competitive. Um, and, and like, we'll have junior high kids that say, I'm just, I'm just not that competitive. And my thing, what I tell them is like, well, I mean, at school, you want to get, if you get a C, you want to turn that C into a B, right? Or, or any other situation where you're trying to get better. 
Mm-hmm. Because that's what competition is. It, you're trying to make yourself better and it involves competing against other people, but you're competitive at something. Everybody is competitive at something and you just got to figure out what it is and connect mm-hmm. the dots. Yeah, no, that's good. The group that you train mainly, that's like around what, 11 to 14 year olds or somewhere in that range? Yeah. Yeah. My main group is 11 to 14 year olds. I'm kind of all over the place this season, but my, my main group's 11 to 14. Uh, I work with our senior group, uh, three or four practices a week. And then, um, I also coach a group of newbies that we call our, we call it our developmental team. I got you. So I have like, I have it all this season. Yeah. What does fun look like with your prime group or even the senior group versus eight-year-olds? Um, you know, not, not that different. Uh, racing is fun. Swimming fast is fun. So with my 11 to 14 year old, we do, uh, it was meet day Monday, but some stuff changed. So now it's meet day Tuesday. And every Tuesday, uh, with my 11 to 14 year olds, we have, we, I, I throw together some events and create teams and we swim it like a swim meet. Mm. Um, and I, I use it for a different couple of different purposes. Like we had an IMX meet coming up and the four weeks leading up to the IMX meet, um, we did harder races on the meet day Tuesday gotcha. because some of them, they've never swam the two fly before yeah. or the 4am. So like some of the races were like a 300 IM or 150 fly. <laughs> And they, they did it in a safe space. You know what I mean? And I'm like, wow, that was a really good 150 fly. Like the 200 is going to be all right. And it really helps some of them have a good mm. IMX meet, especially some of my guys who've never swam the full um, IMX gambit. Um, with the older kids, the senior, um, for me with them right now, our senior group that we have is, like the original batch of kids that I started coaching uh, when I first got to COM. So I've known a lot of them since they were eight, nine, 10, you know, and they're all 15, 17, 18. So with them, the fun is a little easier because it comes more from the talking before practice, Mm. talking during practice. I like my relationship with them is just so much better that I, I can, I can make it fun just through like the energy, the way I'm talking to them. And of course, um, I, I like to do fun sets. I like to, ju- I like to do one thing fun at every practice, usually in our preset. Mm. And when I say fun, I just mean a different way to get your body ramped up. So like this week we did, um, I call them swim suicides. And you basically, I mean, think of a, think of a suicide on land, you know, yeah. run to the line, run back. <laughs> but we did it in the water. It was like run, swim to the third black line, swim back, six black line, and then a 25. And, uh, got their heart rate up and it was, it was harder than they thought it'd be, but, but it was different and different is sometimes fun. No, that's cool. Yeah. We'll we'll definitely get more into the coaching stuff you do. I enjoy watching uh, what you post on Instagram, but I want to know about your experience as a swimmer, Mike, what was that like in the sport? Yeah. So, I mean, I was a, a late, late starter. I didn't start till my freshman year of high school. And uh, the only reason I started swimming was because I had done just about every other sport before. And I was, I was pretty bad at just about everything. And uh, I remember signing up for classes um, a couple weeks before high school started. And I told my mom, I'm done. I'm done with sports. It's not for me. And my mom said, my mom just always had this rule. Like you had to do something. 
Mm-hmm. Like my mom just did not let us, um, she didn't let us, we, we had to be involved in something. And uh, she said, I'll give you $20 to join the swim team. And my only response was they have a swim team. <laughs> so <laughs> like, like, I mean, I, I was literally, I can't even tell you what happened my freshman year of swimming. Cause I was so new. And I, I just, I just remember going to practice. It's <laughs> just a blur. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, that's how I got my start. And then so could you swim uh, before that, Mike. Uh, I don't think so. Oh, well, no, because I, after swimming for a month of high school, I, we went to this, um, there's this like spring fed pool out in Texas yeah. called Balmeray. And we went there for like Memorial weekend or something. And I was like, mom, check this out. And I like swam across and she like laughed at me because <laughs> it didn't look that good. <laughs> so like, I wasn't that good of a swimmer. My, I'm going to, I'll probably tell more stories about my mom. My mom's pretty honest with me, but I think it's, I think it was good. But, That's um, funny. I mean, I so remember coaching high school for a few years, Mike. And I mean, I remember kids like you where I was like, have you even done swim lessons before this? And and by the end of the season, I mean, Hey, they were, they were doing fifties and hundreds. Okay. And I wasn't having to like have the lifeguard, like monitor them the whole practice, but no, that's pretty impressive, man. Yeah, so I had a rough start, but um, we changed coaches my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And my coach also was never a swimmer or swim coach, but um, so much respect for him. He just did the work of studying and talking to coaches in the area. That's cool. And uh, the whole team just started getting better. And I, I remember at the end of my sophomore year, I had my first like little taste of success. Mm. My, my, my relay got scratched into a final at our regional meet because somebody mm-hmm. got DQ'd and like that was that was the moment that's the moment when I decided I love swimming and man from then on I, I tried to find a club team I swam club um in high school uh like I was so dedicated that um my mom could only take me to practice but I couldn't get a ride home and the pool was about 40 minutes away mm-hmm. over the summer so I took a two-hour city bus Stop. back home like you had to you had to switch buses a couple times so it takes about two hours once you do all that but man i was i was sold on the sport and i loved it just just from that moment on i loved it and uh i ended up swimming in college at utpv in odessa mm-hmm. and um that's what brought me to the the midland area and then i found com, and that's where i've been that's cool i want to go back to so you complete your freshman year you you start yeah. there not really knowing how to swim. So now you have at least, you know, somewhat competent. I'm curious, did you have any second thoughts about, uh, do I want to come back for sophomore year? Or was it basically because, you know, mom's rule was you had to do something. There were no other options at that point. Yeah. No, by the end of my freshman year, I, I basically identified myself as a swimmer. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, you see it on teams and stuff, but a lot of swimmers, you know, all their best friends are swimmers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like halfway through the year that I made that transition where all my buddies were on the swim team. And that's just, that's what we did over the summer. I did, uh, I did summer league also. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was just fun, but it kept me in the water. And, uh, yeah, I just, that's just, that's just what I did. I still did cross country and track my freshman and sophomore year of high school, but, um, the swimming thing, I think after my freshman year, I was like, I'm a swimmer. This is what I do. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. So, What was it like the first couple of weeks going into a club setting versus a high school setting? 
Oh man. Uh, so one, I was just excited. Um, and I just, I just remember swimming as hard as I could for as long as I could. Mm-hmm. And then I would just, I would just die <laughs> and get lapped, but I wouldn't stop. Um, and then I, my club coach who, um, he actually coaches with us now. Um, my club coach, I, I'll just never forget like one of the first things he ever said to me. Cause when I would get tired, I would start to skip flip turns. Mm-hmm. Like I had the worst habits. Like I, I want my swimmers to listen to this and like, I just, <laughs> I had the worst habits any swimmer should have. So speaking um, from experience is would, what you're saying. <laughs> yes. And I would skip flip turns and I remember him walking up to me and he said, on this team, we don't skip flip turns. <laughs> and I never <laughs> skipped flip turns again. Like it was a very crucial moment in my swimming career. But, oh, uh, and so how did you progress then ended up swimming in college? I mean, you start high school, not knowing how to swim and then you end up swimming in college. Mm-hmm. What did the progression junior, senior year look like for you? Yeah, I had a, I had a pretty big jump from, um, my junior, my sophomore year to my junior year as a breaststroker. Um, and then I made some more progress going into my senior year. Um, what, what I really did was I just, I mean, I just, I just went hard. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. You know, my senior year, I was doing 11 practices a week. Um, I would swim with my high school and my club. I'd swim twice a day, Monday through Friday. If we had a, a Friday afternoon dual meet, um, I had morning practice that morning with my club, Saturday practice. And uh, like, I, I, I think the only thing I did was I just, I just went for it. When I didn't have afternoon practice, um, I would actually go to a city pool and just go swim. Like, I don't think I'd, I'd swim a workout. I would just, right. I'm going to, I'm going to do breaststroke for an hour. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, re- like it, when I think about it, I, I don't understand the training I did. Like in high school, I think my senior year, I started to actually understand like yeah. when coach says red, red pace, this is what we're trying to do. Um, but, and I just swam. I just love the sport. I just went for it. And, uh, not a lot of people, you know, don't do that. But I, I think part of starting late is you're not, you don't really get burnt to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was, it's like being dumb and in love. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just, that's just what I did. What and, was your, uh, what was your college experience like? Off. My what experience? Sorry? Your college experience as a swimmer. Yeah. Um, so college was a little tougher for me because I went into it with kind of the same mentality as I did in high school. Mm. Um, you know, do extra. I went to all the extra workouts and that sort of thing. And, uh, man, my freshman year was tough. It was, it was tough. I didn't get any faster. And for me, again, starting new, like I also didn't have that experience of having a flat season when you start new, you get better every, every six yeah. months, you're way faster than you were the six months before. So it was my first time, like not getting much better. And man, it was tough. Like it crushed me. Um, so I had a tough year, my freshman year, um, the same thing with my sophomore year, but at the same time that I was struggling competitively, um, I loved my teammates. I had a great team. Um, you know, all my best friends are my college teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that was fantastic. And I loved, I love that. Um, so that was tough. My junior and senior year, I swam much better. And that was because I finally like let go of swimming being like the ultimate 
the ultimate goal, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I learned how to relax about it. It's so almost like, like you constantly... had that. You, it's almost like you needed that flat season. It sounds like to know, okay, uh, you know, it's not going to come as quickly as it had been coming for you. Cause like you said, you're so new to the sport still is improvement was happening all the time. And I'm sure that fueled, like if you're just intense and on fire about it, it, it's just a, a revolving door with that. Exactly. It was like, oh, I work harder, I get faster. I work harder, I get mm-hmm. faster. Like it was very black and white. And then, yeah, I ran into a wall and I struggled to get through that. But then, you know, one season, um, uh, unfortunately, and I don't love to tell this part, I usually don't tell this part to my swimmers, like part of the taking more of a relaxed stance towards my swimming was not working as hard. <laughs> like I slacked a lot more than I did before, but I, but I swam faster. So, I mean, for me, that's what I needed. Um, I don't think that's the best advice to everybody, but I don't know. That's just, that's Were you able to, that's the truth of it. Were you able to pick spots when you relax? Do you remember like being intentional at all or, or how did that work? Um, yes, I remember being intentional. Um, but again, it wasn't, <laughs> it's, it's, it wasn't like from a coach and athlete standpoint, Yeah, like it wasn't the best thing. So like <laughs> if I showed up to the pool one day and I felt kind of burnt, like I just felt, I felt really tired and sore. And coach said, all right, today you're training with mid-distance breaststrokers. Mm-hmm. I would say, got it. And I would, I would sneak over to the, the backstroke girls lane because <laughs> cause I, backstroke was my worst stroke. But when I swam with the girls, I could hang. And <laughs> it was more of a recovery day for me. So, again, like not <laughs> – it's not a great story, right? But, I mean, uh, it is what it is. And it's been a journey. That's great. Sure. So looking back on your swimming career, how do you, how do you summarize it in your head? Are, are you satisfied with it? What, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I wish um, the number one or two things I wish I did better was um, recovery and understanding race strategy better. So, um, I mean, just back to the new thing, you know, for so long, it's just like, all right, I'm going to just go as hard as I can mm-hmm. until I die. And, you know, when you get to college and you're swimming the 200 breaststroke, like that doesn't, that just doesn't really work. And as a high school only swimmer, I was really just a hundred breaststroker. So, I mean, I like had to learn how to swim the 200 breast properly in college. And I, I know I said I swam club, but I didn't swim club for that long, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so race strategy was a big one. And then, um, understanding recovery, uh, you know, not getting a lot of sleep in college definitely eating a lot of corn dogs doesn't help you. Um, so yeah, race strategy and recovery. I, I should have recovered better. I, and then part of that was, you know, that freshman sophomore year that I'm talking about yeah. where I just went hard. I did everything. Um, but I was exhausted mm, I all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, so. man. So what did the transition look like from being a swimmer? So now you found your your new love, you know, and you've been doing it for mm-hmm. a few years now. How did you transition into being a swim coach? Was that pretty quick? Did you just say, hey, I want to keep up with the sport? What did that look like? Yeah. So even in high school, um, I wanted to be a swim coach. Uh, my first coaching gig was like at a, it was at a YMCA, some league. 
the summer before I went to college. Oh, really? Oh, and okay. it was like, yeah, it was like a team of like 20 kids. They would only give us the pool from 8 to 9 p.m. at night. So it was like a 90 degree pool. But uh, it's the same thing, man. Like, dumb and in love. I was like, this is going to be awesome. I even, uh, I was in charge of posting a meet that summer. Yeah. And <laughs> I got the entries in and I created, I created a heat sheet myself on Excel. It only took me like four hours, <laughs> but, and, uh, but that's what you had to do. I mean, I didn't know any better. So I did that. Um, and I, but I always wanted to be a coach. I didn't know that it could actually be, um, you can make a living off of it. Mm. Um, so my junior year of college, our grad assistant was coaching at uh, COM city of Midland. Mm -hmm. And I would just ask her like, Hey, do you guys have any part-time spots? Do you have any part-time spots? And, uh, December of 2012, she was going to leave that following semester and she got me an interview there and that January, January 20, oh no, no, sorry. December, 2011. So January, 20, 2012, I started part-time coaching and part of, um, UTPV once November hits, we train, the college team would train at COM. It was mm -hmm. like a 25 minute drive, but we would, uh, we would train there. So I was already up there. So I would go to practice and then, um, 30 minutes later, I would just, I would start coaching the little guys. That's really cool. And so then, you, um, so were you coaching all through college then at that point, at least somewhat? Uh, yeah, like I said, just the summer thing. And then, um, my junior year part-time all of senior year, gotcha. I was a part-time coach that entire year. Um, and then after I graduated, uh, COM offered me a full-time position. So. I, I jumped on that. That's awesome. So you've been there basically yeah. your whole coaching career. Can you describe the, the different groups then you've been working with primarily in charge of, or even uh, assisting with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I've kind of done it all. Um, I've probably done 10 and under the least, but uh, I, I've always helped out with a newbie group. So um, those ages range, but I coached our 11, our top 11, 12s for a long time, um, about three years straight. And then, uh, and then after being full time for two years, um, I decided to go be a teacher for a year just to see what else was out there. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I was almost done with my first year of teaching, they offered me a position to, um, come back full time as the assistant head coach. Oh, okay. And that's when I started working with, uh, seniors more. And, but since then I've been bouncing around. So I've been 13, 14 seniors primarily. We combined our 11 to 14 year olds now. So this is, that's, I've, I've kind of done it all. No, that's honestly. really cool. How many kids are yeah. on the team? We have 320. Okay. Wow. And all from that one side yeah, around there. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Everybody's, we have one pool out here. So. No, that's cool. Yeah, I remember I had uh, your head coach Jenna on. She was one of the earlier guests on the podcast. Actually, it it had to have she been was. two or three years ago yeah. now. At this point, I'm sure. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's yeah. really cool. What's it like working now as an assistant head coach? Because again, you've only known this club, but I'm sure it's a little bit different from where you started versus now being assistant head coach and kind of being the the, the filler, if you will, of wherever it sounds like you guys need help. Like you're the one to make sure it kind of stays together. Yeah, that that 
um, I think that's a good definition for what I've been doing. You know, um, other than the coaching, there's, you know, the leadership and the running of the team, Mm -hmm. which is really important. I mean, you can't, uh, I, I don't think you can have a club of 300 people and not have, uh, like leaders who, who know what they're doing, like leaders who don't know what they're doing, but, um, it's been good. You know, at, at COM, we, we, we really believe in the team. Like what are the team's goals? What are we trying to do? Mm. And our situation is unique. We have this really amazing facility yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Of it. like <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a fantastic, you know, we hosted Southern zones in 2017 and mm. it was a great meet, um, indoor 50 meter pool can seat. I think it can seat like 800 or a thousand spectators. And, uh, but at the same time, we are the only club and the nearest big city is, you know, 300 miles away. Oh, wow. So getting coaches, getting coaches on our staff, mm. it's not like in the bigger cities where there's a bigger plethora of people with swimming experience right. and who want to be coaches or who are bouncing around clubs. Like everything we do has to be homegrown. So like right now we have 16 coaches on staff. Mm. and and that's really good i think for our situation yeah. and we we just really believe in like you know watering your own grass mm. so we've really taken advantage of the junior coach thing and uh trying to get some of our 17 year olds involved um with the way midland is with uh oil and gas industry we have mm. people moving in from other places oh yeah and we have we have two guys on our staff that are they're One's more of a stay-at-home dad. The other one's a part-time pharmacist. Um, and they just love coaching. And they're there and <laughs> they're awesome. awesome. And they have a little swimming experience. So I don't know if that answered the question. I went, I went a little off no, on a tangent really cool. there. But. You mentioned you've combined the 11 and 14s. Can you talk up through that process? Because it sounds like they weren't combined for a while. Was, I'm assuming kind of more 11, 12s, 13, 14s. But now mm-hmm. combining them. Talk through that. Yeah, so um, this is only our second season that we uh, we are doing this, that we have this eleven to fourteen year olds combined, mm-hmm. and uh, so one of the issues was one of our a couple of our eleven year old groups. The amount of kids we had in there, it wasn't quite justifying um, the coach we had there. Gotcha. I don't know if that makes sense, mm-hmm. but like one group had 10 and then another group had like 25. Yeah. But the way the groups were structured, we couldn't really slide kids down or move kids up. So it was like, we kind of were building this gap and we only had two groups. We called them like junior one, junior two. And then the 13, 14s is pre-senior one, pre-senior two. And, um, at the same time, like our 13 year olds, we, we have a bunch of 13 year olds. So we figured okay, one, we're going to actually add a third group. So junior one, junior two, junior three, um, to kind of help out with all the levels that we have. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to combine all the groups because as we split into three groups, it makes each group have about 20 kids, 20 gotcha. to 25 kids, yeah. which is really good. And, um, you know, those 11 and 12 year olds, what I've noticed with the 13, 14 year olds, they get, they get up to speed faster mm. with, um, the older kids there. And I, I think it's been really good because we have some kids that, you know, they just turned 11 and that's a, that's a lot different than a 13, 14 year old. But right. when you pair them up doing certain things, not that they can do everything together, but when you pair them up, the youngers are learning a lot faster. 
and I, I think it's I think it's been great. I think it's been a great change on our team. Yeah, I was about to say. I'm sure if you structured it right, I'm I could see how that would accelerate their development, especially you know an 11 year old coming into the group and having 13 and 14 year olds there to kind of mimic and be able to learn from, as opposed to just you know having a kid a year older than them. You know, the the, the growth may not be as yeah. quick then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, we've just been able to do more. We do a little extra with our 13, 14 year olds. They'll have like they'll have. Uh, like during holiday training, mm-hmm. we had them do a couple extra practices that we didn't feel like we quite needed for the 11, 12-year-olds. So there's still some differences in there, but not a, not a whole lot. For the most part, they have the same schedule. Yeah. What uh, What's the training philosophy that you have in mind, or maybe the, the club as a whole? What's that look like? Um, I mean, our, our big philosophy is uh, long-term success. We want them to be at their best when they're 18. So at the 10 and under level, you know, our tagline for those groups is fundamentals and that's capital F U N. We want our 10 and unders coming out of we all 10 and under groups, no matter whether it's a new group or a more competitive group, we want them all coming out with great skills in all four strokes and that they love the sport because if, if they don't have the love, then it, it's just harder to get them going later our 11 and 12 year olds. Um, and now, like I said, we're in this, we've combined our groups. So we haven't really talked about this, but our 11 and 12 year old philosophy is learn to train Mm. where this is where we start teaching them a little bit more training skills and their workouts are more training based than skill and drill based. So things like negative split, descent, getting your own time, like the stuff that the stuff that makes you be able to be independent in a workout and then you can, you can read a workout and execute it basically. Yeah. And then our, our 13, 14 is a uh, train to compete. So we take that training and we start relating it more to race strategy and that sort of thing. And we want to see, this is where we start seeing more performance stuff out of our 13, 14 year olds. And then our senior level, our tagline there is, um, uh, well, I'm going blank right here. Uh, it's like excellent performance. I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> no <worries. laughs> I can't believe I blanked on the senior one. But uh, basically, it's we want. This is where we want to see their best performance. Yeah. Where everything they've done before has led up to this, and every conversation we have is about the long term development of the athlete. So, with that in mind, are there things that you guys, as a staff, have intentionally said? You know, we're not worrying about this till 13, 14 or 15 and over or that we want to make sure we're doing this at 10 and under based on that long term philosophy. You know, we want them fastest at 18, not at eight. Yes, Um, a big, a big part of that conversation comes in when we're doing scheduling and we're talking about how many practices a week we should have and how much time we have. So like our, our top 10 and under group has four practice four hour and a half long practices a week, um, which we feel like is good. Mm -hmm. Um, at a, at a certain point it was at five, but we just felt like, you know, we don't think a 10 year old should be at the pool every single day of the week. Mm -hmm. And, uh, having four there gives them an empty day. Plus if they want to miss another day to go do another sport, we think that's really important. Um, and it also comes into play when we're talking about, uh, event selection and meets like that. So us being the only team in town, every meet is a travel meet. 
other than what we host. Hmm. So we really, you know, we, we really try to be picky on what meets we go to yeah. to make sure it fits, it fits a majority of the group, depending on what we're going for, because we want to, we want to build that team environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to go to, we want to go to meets. We're like, okay, are they going to get the adequate level of competition here? Or we send coaches on a meet and they come back and we're like, Hey, how was the meet? They're like, yeah, you know, it was great for our 10 and unders, but our 13, 14 year olds, I think they need to go to a different meet this, hmm. this year or next year, just based on the level of competition or the energy of the meet. Cause yeah. you know, there's some meets that feel like younger kid meets, you know, and you take a 14, 15 year old there, especially if they're a little more experienced and they're like, all right, bunch of eight year olds running <laughs> yeah, around, <right. laughs> you know? So you, is there know, a we have, certain we have conversations like that? Yeah, sorry, Mike. Was there is there a certain pattern or like how frequent you guys think about going to meets based on the ages or like in a calendar season, you know, short course season? Like we want to be at X number of meets. Do, do you guys have numbers like that that you think through? Yeah, we want we want every group to have one competition opportunity per month. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty. Sometimes there's more, but uh, we want every group to have one one competition a month and every season we want to have one team travel only meet. So, you know, um, this past summer we took 65 kids. I might be 55, 55 kids to Albuquerque, mm-hmm. like six hours away oh, on wow. a big old bus. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And team, team travel is a huge part of what we do. So those two requirements, um, of course, with our, our 13 and overs, um, the mid-season meet, we want to pick a right meet for that's based more on competition. Um, so a meet we can rest them for. Um, uh, same with our top 11, 12s also. But um, even even our new kids that only been on the team for a month, uh, we'll take them on a day trip to Lubbock. Or there's a team in Pecos that hosts a, a little day meet. Mm-hmm. And we'll get on a bus for the day. And we take them to that meet. And then we go to a little pizza party and we come back. <laughs> That's awesome. So we, we teach them early that this team travels and we travel well, and it's a lot of fun to travel. That's cool. So what's the, all the way down to the 10 and unders are traveling? Or I'm sure it depends on, on which meets between the two of those, like that day meet or the Albuquerque one. Yes. Um, every, like I said, every kid on the team has an, uh, has a travel opportunity. Gotcha. So, you know, you know, 10 and unders can't do overnight meets. So they mm-hmm. don't do that. If they go to a multi-day meet, they're staying with their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but like I said, we'll go to a day meet that's two hours away. So we leave in the morning, go there, but you know, down to our youngest, I think our five and six year olds, we don't take to that meet. That's mm-hmm. it. Just our five and six year olds, but everybody else, um, they have a travel opportunity. And we, we, we encourage everybody to go. No, oh, that's cool. What has changed about how you approach training, whether it's what you do in the water or out of water in say the last five seasons or so? Um, I think one of the biggest changes is me not trying to, I guess, destroy my kids every single day. <laughs> so, and, and part of that has come with you know, when you're coaching 11, 12s, primarily, you can do that a little more. Mm-hmm. They bounce back. Right. Um, but, you know, getting to the seniors, when I first started coaching seniors, it'd be Wednesday and Thursday. And I'd be like, why do you all look awful? What are you doing? <laughs> Tuesday was fantastic. And so part of me is being part of that is being more intentional with, okay, like how hard are we going? Which mm-hmm. has led me to, 
to, to say, what, what parts of the workout today do I need you to be like fantastic at say, to say effort wise. So also instead of writing a workout to just be hard, it's like, okay, on the main set, this is the focus. If you can be fast, if we're doing IMs, but it's like, if you can be fast, if you can keep your flying back split tighter, like this was a success because this is what we focused on. And then, um, the second thing is dry land. The whole team is, um, incorporated, you know, the gain, the gain system. We saw Chris Plum talk at ASCA four or five years ago. And, uh, this last year we went to gain, or I say last year, 2018, we went to gain swimming and we've incorporated that top to bottom on the team. So that's been, that's been a pretty big shift for everybody. Can you talk more about the difference you see when you guys actually have a structured dry land program and then how that helps you as a coach? Yeah. uh, The first thing is you know what you're doing Mm -hmm. every day. And that's great because we, we always felt like dry land was important, but we never had a great plan or progression. So it was, it was back to that same thing in the water. All right, let's do something. Let's do something hard. Make sure you work out the core. <laughs> and so that was it. But, you know, what we really learned through game swimming was uh, it can be progressive. And on top of that, because it's progressive and it's, it's very similar on, a, like, say, these six-week blocks we do, um, the athletes can also see themselves get better. Yeah. So when you're doing similar sets and you're just adding volume or you're adding some load to it, um, you can start talking to them about, Hey, you know, six weeks ago, you were only doing five sets of three exactly. pull-ups. Now you're doing five sets of five and that feels really good. So, um, you, so yeah, you, we have a better plan and we're more aware of the, the progress all the athletes are making, which help us adjust the dry lands from there. Like we can make it harder here. We should back off here this group's not quite ready for this level. And then the whole team does it. So we need our 13, 14 year olds to be able to, to reach a certain level, a certain level of proficiency and strength going into our senior group. Cause everybody's looking up. What do I need to be ready for? Mm -hmm. What's next? What, what are my athletes? What are my athletes going to need to do at the next level? So that's been really good. No, that's cool. Can you talk a little bit about just your passion for being a coach and, and how that kind of manifested into, you know, now you're all over Instagram posting a lot and, and then even being able to do the podcast. I think about just a few years ago when I started this podcast, you know, there was maybe one or two other podcasts and they've, you know, flaked out over time. And now, I mean, it's again, it's yeah. nice to have like other people doing <laughs> swimming podcasts and even USA Swimming's doing one now. So can you talk about that a little bit where that comes from? Yeah. So my, my passion is on making people better. Like if you were to, if you were to take away swim coaching from me, then I would find something to make people better. Like Mm -hmm. that is, that is just what I believe in. And you know, when I look, when I looked around on the internet and my reading and maybe I haven't done enough research, but a lot of people talk about sets and workouts and that sort of thing, which is great. And I think there needs to be more conversation just on, on the coaching side of it, because at the end of the day, it's, it's not an easy gig. You know, in the past two years, I've gotten married and had a kid and, you know, things get crazy because yeah. the coaching lifestyle isn't, isn't easy. So, so my goal through my podcast and my, my social media stuff is like, Hey, I'm a coach and this is what I do. There's nothing special about me. Hmm. You know, 
And you can be, you can be a great coach also, and you can be a great husband and you can be a great father and you can do all of the above. I know they got a little airy, but man, that's really what I believe in. And I, I just love being able to show up to the pool and to help make people better. And I love stepping into staff meetings and helping my staff be better. And I love coming home and trying to help my wife and my daughter be better. That like, it's all, it's all connected. No, that's I, think cool. it's a, I think it's a big deal. Can you talk about the staff development that you guys do? Again, saying, you know, you're pretty isolated, 300 miles from the, the nearest town, yeah. having to, yeah. to home grow your staff. What does that look like? So a couple things. We try to get one, um, at least one outside education opportunity a year, whether that's a clinic or something like that. 2018, we went to game swimming. We took seven coaches there. Um, last year we went to the ISCA conference in Florida. We took, uh, four or five coaches there. Um, and we also try to bring people in. So during our team breaks, we have staff like in services Mm -hmm. and, uh, at our church, one of the youth, one of the pastors there was an ex professional rugby player in South Africa. Oh, that's cool. And like, he just, yeah, he just ran the gambit start to finish. Right. So we asked him if, if he could come in and talk about like, Hey, what's it like to be a professional? Like, what's it like to be at the top? And what's it like to start at eight years old, start playing rugby rugby at eight years old and you work your way through that. Um, every Friday we have a staff meeting and, um, we have an education session in that staff meeting and we assign, we assign topics to coaches. So we have these, we had these two young guys on our team they're both uh, 18, 19, and we had them lead a, a little session on how to organize your day and use a planner effectively. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it sounds kind of funny, but everybody has an opportunity. And at COM, you know, we we took notice of uh, an aerobics instructor who every single day she has amazing energy, hmm. even if she has only ten people in the water and yeah. all ten people are just talk, talking to each other. Like this lady brings it. <laughs> so this Friday, she's going to talk to our coaches. Like, how do you bring enthusiasm and energy to the work you do? That's cool. So we, we just try to keep our eyes open from people that we can learn from. Um, and I mean, we do it all. We teach each other. Um, if a coach, if a coach is like, Hey, I found this, this is really cool. We don't say no right away. Mm-hmm. We say, okay, how can we make this work? Can we just send you? Can we even send anybody? Should we send more people? Um, if somebody comes back from a clinic, uh, we, we have them give a talk on something they learned from there. So we do, we do something like that every week, every week we're doing something with our staff to make our staff better. Yeah, no, that's really cool. What's the looking back, maybe not those years you were coaching when you were still in, um, in high school or college even, but maybe I'm thinking first season or two, you were a full-time coach. Was there a mistake you made that mm-hmm. stands out where you're like, man, <laughs> learn my lesson there. I'm going to try not to repeat that one. Uh, yeah, the, the things you say matter so much more than you think. Mm. Um, and I used to say like dumb little funny things to my swimmers. Uh, <laughs> I told this 13 year old boy, like, yeah, buddy, don't worry. You get degrees. You know, I said it as a joke <laughs> and, uh, I was having a tough, I think it was my senior year of college and I was, I was, I was getting through and for like 
And I would say things like that. And the kids do not forget that stuff. And four years later, his mom says, hey, can you stop telling my son he's get degrees? And I'm like, I haven't said that to him since (laughs) this, like, a long time ago. He's like, well, yeah, he said you told him that. <laughs> like, so, um, and I and I used to say other things like, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. And I, there was this, when I was a younger coach, there was a much bigger disconnect between who I was as a person and like who I was as a coach and who I asked my athletes to be. Mm. And same with what I talked about before, like getting better, like it's all connected. Um if you, if you're going to be here teaching these kids how to be better every single day, like you need to, you need, I think you need to live that in a, in a, in a specific way. If you're going to tell your kids, Hey, like we don't have bad language on this team. Mm-hmm. You better not be on the full day cussing all over the place. <laughs> Is there so, something specific you want to share that you changed or like tried to make sure that fell in line a little bit more? Um, you know, I give a lot of, I give a lot of credit to my head coach, uh, Jenna Perky. She's been really good about, um, making me more aware of those things. Mm. Um, on our staff, we're pretty open and we, we believe in holding each other accountable. And, uh, I say calling each other out and this isn't like in a bad way, but you know, like, Hey man, you said this, but you know, this, this doesn't really fall in line what we believe or something like that. And we help each other out be better. So that's been, that's been really good, but mostly I think the best teaching tool has just been experience. It's been, uh, parents yelling at me or (laughs) kids or kids suffering because of decisions I made, that sort of thing. I used to be way more unorganized and I I took a kid to, um, in Texas, we have tags Mm -hmm. and I forgot to enter him in one of his events and I was I was lucky that I, I got him into the race, but man, telling, telling a parent that, Hey, we're going to travel six hours to go to this <laughs> meet. I forgot to put him in one race. I'm going to try really hard in the morning to get him in. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of the things I've learned, man, have just been through falling on my face. Yeah. Going back to, you know, you talk about calling each other out on stuff. I think that definitely speaks to your guys's culture then of if, if it's one of, hey, we want everybody to get better and everybody feels valued and empowered versus if you have another staff culture where everybody's insecure or trying to take care of theirs, that can look very differently saying the same thing, right? Or trying to to hold each other accountable. Yes. And, you know, you can't hold, you cannot hold yourself accountable or hold your, your coaches accountable if there's no trust in relationship. Yeah. Like it goes hand in hand. You can't just be a coach who walks on the pool deck and tells everybody how to do it right. Mm-hmm. There's got to be some relationship there and understanding of the team's bigger goals. And if we, if we tell all of our coaches, hey, we, we want our coaches to be positive and active on the pool deck. And, you know, I have a coach standing over there he's got his arms crossed and he just looks mad (laughs) and i just walk up to him and i'm like hey man you look really mad right now (laughs) like i say it as a joke but you know it's like a slight nudge in the right direction instead of instead of walking up into him and say hey we're positive here you need to smile like that's not going to get anybody to to buy in (laughs) or to change no, that's, that's a good point on that. If you had to narrow all this down to one thing, Mike, what makes you successful as a coach? Um, I think, uh, I think how much I care about, uh, leadership 
and the team. Um, I, I think so for us in our situation, it's just us, right? So we have to have a great team. We can't just be a bunch of individuals doing our own thing. And you can't have a great team without leaders who care about the team and making everybody better. So I think great leaders build great teams and great teams uh, produce success. And if, if we follow that format, I have no doubt in my mind that we're going to be one of the best clubs in the country. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Mike, this has been a great conversation. I know coaches all over are going to be able to go back and pick things out and, and maybe even if it was just a reminder today, but where can people go to connect with you, learn more about you and the program and, uh, and get on your podcast too? Yeah. Um, first off, thanks for all the Instagram tags, but, uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram at swim coach, Mike, or at Twitter at Mike Anzano. Um, I love talking to coaches there. Um, our swim team is comswimteam.com. And, you know, we have our Instagram and Facebook, comswimteam. And uh, this, my podcast is the Swim Coach Mike podcast. And uh, yeah, thanks, Chris. And thanks to those of you that reach out. Awesome. We'll make sure we have all those links in the show notes for people to connect with you. Mike, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Chris. You have a good one. All right, coaches, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike. Curious what stood out to you. Feel free to reach out to us on social if a particular thing stood out that we talked about in our conversations. But I appreciate that Mike talked about as a club and as a team, especially being isolated, they really have to home grow their coaching staff and make sure everybody's on the same page. So having things like, hey, this is what our emphasis is at the tenant unders, the fundamentals and making sure it's fun and enjoyable and just having even written down, whether it's goals, a curriculum, or or team outline of what you want to have, that's at least a starting point, right? And then you can go from there and adjust. He talked about just in the last season or two, them seeing the need to combine the 11 and 14s. Well, if they didn't have structure before, they might not have seen that need or, or seen that that's what they need to do next. So even making sure that you have some kind of structure with that. And of course, that's great that they as a team have a dry land program in place set with progressions and everything. And again, if you're a coach and you don't have that, we would love to help you. We have a bunch of different uh, ways we can help you, whether it's just online educational resources or getting one of our performance coaches to come alongside you, partner with you, basically become an assistant coach for you and develop a dry land program specifically for your team situation and going forward. So thanks again, coaches, for listening. Thanks again for sharing the podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you have a fantastic week. And uh, if you have any questions for me, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Mike Inzano or on Instagram at Swim Coach Mike. But until then, you have a great day.